On this episode, our thoughts on your questions on career strategy, coaching, executive relationships, and much more. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 243. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And speaking of making leaders and leadership development, dialogue is one of the most important ways to do so. And that's why we have mastermind groups. It's also why it's an important part of the broader Coaching for Leaders community and why once a month we hand the show over to you to submit your questions and for us to discuss those in detail on the first Monday of the month here. And you can submit your questions at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. We have a ton of questions this month. In fact, we're going to go into next month probably with all the questions we have, but don't let that stop you submitting your question for consideration in a future episode. And as I always do, I have Bonnie back with me again today to help tackle some of these questions. Bonnie, before I actually go into the first question here from Tiffany, I have a very brief announcement. First of all, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who reached out during the recent mastermind applications, uh, certainly to those of you who applied and are going to be part of the upcoming groups who I've talked with. But I wanted specifically to say thanks to those who also just reached out with words of encouragement or a kind email during the application process or said that the mastermind wasn't right for you for whatever reason, but we're so supportive. And and, and in fact, I got so many of those emails, I'm still answering some of them. So if you haven't heard back from me, uh, that's because I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I will get to those very soon. Thank you so much for your kind support and your willingness to reach out. And along with that, we ended up starting an additional group than we had uh, originally thought when we started the application process. And we still have, we had one change of plans and we have one spot that's available in one of the groups that's starting up here on Mondays. And so if you were thinking about applying for the mastermind, or maybe you just missed the deadline, or are just hearing about it recently in the last couple of weeks, and you may be interested in still being considered for one of the groups starting now, you can actually reach out to me at coachingforleaders.com slash contact. And this Monday group, just so you know, for logistics is meeting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, 3.30 p.m. Pacific time on two Mondays a month, uh, the first and third Mondays. And so if that's something that's in alignment with you and you want to learn more about it, drop me a line at coachingforleaders.com slash contact. That's the main contact page. And let me know you're interested. The details of the mastermind have been taken down off the website for now, but you can reach out to me personally if you may be interested in that spot. And by the way, if you did apply uh, and didn't hear back from me for whatever reason, please do reach out as well. We had one person who submitted an application and didn't get to us for whatever reason. So uh, if you didn't get an answer on an application, definitely reach out to me there as well. So uh, now that we've made that announcement, Bonnie, let me go ahead and read the first question here from Tiffany, and I'll let you... uh, take the first crack at it. Tiffany wrote in and said, last week I got a phone call offering me a great position. I was not looking for a job and I had no intentions of leaving anytime soon. But after reading the job description, it's really seeming like a job I would love. After speaking with them, I learned the position would offer much better pay 
benefits, retirement, a year in bonus, and it's also offering to pay me to go back to college to further my education. Uh, Taking into account just what I would gain career-wise, it's a no-brainer. But when I think of the organization I'm leaving behind and what it stands to lose, my heart breaks. I don't want to disappoint all the people I've worked with by leaving so soon, and I don't want people to feel like I'm abandoning the mission or the values of the organization. That said, I'm under no obligation to stay. My question to you is this, how can I communicate my reasons for leaving uh, without them viewing me as a sellout? Is it wrong that I feel so much guilt for leaving? In a way, I don't think I should have to disclose my reasons because it's very personal. But on the other hand, I wouldn't have this new opportunity without my time there. Any advice or guidance would be so appreciated. Tiffany, thank you so much for the question. Bonnie, what are you thinking? One of the things that comes up often when we think about our time in our workplace is just how easy it is to have our loyalty be misplaced. And I am someone who, I mean, your entire message just resonated so much with me because I do have a feeling with the organizations I have worked with where there's this sense of meaning and purpose behind what it is I do there, the role that I play, and also just the role that that organization plays in the broader slice of humanity that we affect. And you asked the question, is it wrong that I feel so much guilt for leaving And I sort of had a funny expression, how can you be wrong when it feels so right? (laughs) I I would say that it probably feels right because you probably are one of those people who's so fortunate enough to have a job that feels meaningful to you, that feels like you have an impact. And that's wonderful. Congratulations. And I absolutely wish you that in whatever role it is you play for the rest of your working life. And But it, it is wrong in the sense that organizations, while they are made up with people, the organization, the system itself, the entity itself, at the core of it has absolutely no loyalty to anyone. And I say this as someone who went through the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust and got to, uh, there, there's a movie with George Clooney called I think it's Up in the Air. Could you look that up oh, really quick? Yes, I remember that Make movie. sure that's the right title for it. But he, I mean, it's, it's a really pretty dark movie talking about him essentially traveling all over the country, just laying people off. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful movie, but it is kind of just one of those reminders that when circumstances change, there isn't ever going to exist, nor should there really, just a loyalty to a single person. And one of the things, while I, all, I always feel a sense of meaning and significance, I also always try to have the parallel to that, that I am completely replaceable. There, I, There's nowhere where if I were to leave that there's not some wonderful person, collection of people or something that, that could see things with a new lens that I never brought to it. So I try to think of myself as completely replaceable but at the same time that I have meaning and significance in what it is that I do. So you you seem to me to have a little bit more of a sense of dependence. And the word that I'm using here is a word used by Peter Block in a book that I've mentioned many times on the show. It's called The Empowered Manager. And I have referenced that leadership book since my master's program, probably 
I don't know, a hundred times or so. I mean, it's just an incredibly powerful book. One of the things at the core of it, it's called The Empowered Manager, is that so much of the system out there, so much of the business world, the nonprofit world or whatever is set up where we are dependent on our workplace. We're dependent on our workplace for our pay. We're dependent on our workplace for our affirmation, our sense of worth. We're dependent for, in some cases, medical insurance. I mean, there's all these sort of dependent things for feedback, for whether we keep our job, for whether we get promoted, all of those things. And he suggests that we break that model, that actually it's much healthier for the organization if instead of being dependent, we are empowered. And one of the things that he outlines is that this thing that he calls the entrepreneurial cycle, and it starts out with more of an entrepreneurial contract this enlightened self-interest where we actually do think about our own needs and our own wants and what we need to receive kind of in this exchange for the work that we're contributing using what he calls authentic tactics. Authenticity in the workplace is just incredibly powerful and can really transform teams and help people do amazing things together. And then this idea of autonomy. And he says, to create an entrepreneurial cycle, it's necessary to renegotiate the essential contract between the person and the organization, whereas the patriarchal contract requires us, one, to submit to authority, two, to deny self-expression, and three, to make sacrifices for unnamed future rewards. The entrepreneurial contract takes the other side. It requires us to be our own authority, encourages self-expression, make commitments, and believe that the above are just. And I, I mean, I could just, I could just read. I just, <laughs> I could keep going. And it, I, I had found a few other pages I thought I might reference, but I would just encourage you to pick up the book and see how it might transform your thinking. I do think your loyalty is misplaced. I think that it sounds like one of those things that despite you feeling guilty, you're still having the courage to make this change anyway. At least it has been made real in your mind as you're starting to experience these feelings of guilt. What that tells me is you've imagined yourself in this new future and it's scary for you and you do feel this sense of guilt and and perhaps that you're being disloyal, but you're still allowing yourself the courage to imagine this vision for your future. And so congratulations on that. I am so excited for you. You have a great future in mind. And one of the things that was a really great resource for me, I never actually ended up having to use it, but I would reference a Michael Hyatt episode, a podcast episode that he did. That's one of the best ones I've ever heard of him where he talks about how to leave your job. And he gives Mm. a number of good recommendations about how to do that. And who knows? I mean, you, you could go through the steps that he recommends end up quitting your job. And it turns out that actually, no, they want to keep you so bad that they say, well, that salary offer that they just made you, well, we'll do that plus 25% and we'll pay for your, I mean, who, you just never know. It's not that you would do that with that intent in mind, but there's no sense of that you're being disloyal if this great opportunity has come into your attention and you've got a great future to pursue. I love so much of what you've said, and especially the loyalty part on the fact that we're all replaceable. And I think that sometimes the tendency is for 
a lot of us to get to this place where we're like, oh, you know, I can't be replaced. And, you know, I bring this unique value to the organization. And, and that's just, that's just not true in, in any sense. I mean, I'm sure there's a, some minor exceptions somewhere, but we can all be replaced. Now, it may take five people to replace the work I do, right? You were supposed to laugh. At oh, that, but you didn't. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking, but that wouldn't be really healthy if that was the yeah, case, because well, that means yeah. you're working too hard. Exactly. You know, I wasn't speaking to Dave. I was speaking to this fictitious person. Well, it's yeah. my poor attempt at humor. <laughs> By the way, someone wrote, a couple of people mentioned to me recently, they're like, you and Bonnie on these Q&A shows are hilarious. And I was like, that's just that's not the word I had thought of. But anyway, so what was I saying? But anyway, yeah, I think that there's a... There's a fallacy of thinking that we're not replaceable, and organizations are not going to think of us, you know, think about long term loyalty ultimately when making business decisions. And so I think it's really smart to look at this objectively if, if we can. That said, I, and I went back and forth with Tiffany on email on this, Bonnie, a little bit afterwards, this question. I'm, I'm, we're, by the way, we're leaving out some of the details here too, but I, I got the sense also that a key piece of this was people thinking that I'm a sellout. Because it's it's a one different it's a very different kind of organization and a very different kind of industry, and uh, I I think there's there's likely going to always be someone who thinks that in these situations, um, if not many people, and so I think that the ultimately we all need to first think about how can we put ourselves in a situation for our careers that benefits us long term. And if we do that well, we ultimately serve the organization and others more effectively. If the answer for us is that in in our career choices, we always think about the organization first and put ourselves second, long-term, I'm not saying we never do that in situations, but if we always make that choice, long-term that breeds resentment. And that's not good for you or the organization. And so if the only stopping point is that people are going to say for two or three weeks that I was a sellout, within the company or the industry or wherever. And that is a better choice for you and your family and your career long-term. I would encourage you to not let that hold you back. That if you're doing anything really worth doing in the world, there's always going to be someone that doesn't agree with how you do it and how you frame your career. And so I I certainly wouldn't let that stop you on the choices that you're making and to have the courage to do the things that are right for your career first. And I'm a big believer that if you make the choices you know, I hesitate to use the word selfish, but to look first of what's best for your career, I think you'll ultimately do better for society and for your industry and for all the things that you're trying to do as far as how you lead and influence. So there you go. This next question is from Stephen. I've been leading a small nonprofit for about 18 months in my first executive role. One of the many areas in which I need to improve is making time for coaching my core staff rather than having conversations consistently around ongoing tasks, deadlines, etc. I would like to make time weekly, monthly, quarterly, where I sit down with them one-on-one for a set period of time and we talk about how they want to improve, why, and make a plan together for doing so. Can you recommend some resources where I can get advice on establishing a coaching routine and culture, setting expectations to make it fruitful, how often to set the meetings, etc.? Yes, my first and one word thought of hearing this is start. Start doing it. And you'll probably find that as you start doing it, you'll run into some obstacles and you'll find some things that don't quite work or aren't quite framed effectively. Um, But to start and to begin to set this expectation in your organization. And I really like that you've zeroed in, Stephen, on the point 
of rather than it becoming a meeting about ongoing tasks and deadlines, which I think is probably what a lot of one-on-ones end up being, I would set, if you have those meetings, of course, and, and have those conversations, but set up and you decide what you call it in your organization, if it's a one-on-one, if it's a professional development time. Um, I worked early in an organization I had in my career. We had a weekly one hour, it was called a professional development meeting. And that meeting was designed to not talk about ongoing tasks and deadlines and things that were currently happening. And it was time that was set aside to look at the professional development plan and long-term to do training and coaching on long-term goals for the employee. And so I think that you start by setting that expectation. And if that is in place of a current meeting, great. If that's instead of or in addition to another meeting, great. But find a way to be able to have that time be sacred and to have that time be really the employee's time of they bring something to the table. Now, depending on who that employee is, they may need some framework and some coaching of, of what to bring, and you might work with them in tandem to determine what that conversation looks like. But I think the key is is that you don't do that. You know What you were talking about is putting the the tasks and the goals and you know the daily operational things into that meeting of making that distinction really clear. And I think a great framework for that is the conversation that we had a few episodes ago with Michael Bungay-Stanier on coaching questions. There's from his book, seven great coaching questions that you can use as starting points for those kinds of conversations. Uh, there's also an episode coming uh, within the next month or so on doing one-on-ones. And uh, we've got a CEO of a company coming in and talking about how to do one-on-ones more effectively and just how they frame that. So that's absolutely going to be a helpful resource to you as well too. But I think I would just start in the meantime and do something you know you can do. So if if once a week is sounding daunting, don't do once a week. Do one, Start with once a month. Have that set time and have that time only be for professional development time. One of the things that I think is really helpful for me is to have a discipline around doing a weekly review. And I actually have refined my weekly review so much that I actually look forward to when it pops up that it's time, it's the day to do it. And it's just a nice way for me to check in on my goals, for me to check in on my calendar for this coming week. I look at my calendar for the last week and kind of reflect on how things go. One of the thinkers, arduous is his last name, talks about this idea of double loop learning. But when we go back and we look at things and we think again about how we might have handled things differently or reflect on it again, it just gives us an additional loop to be able to experience learning anew from a new perspective now that it is behind us and we can we can go revisit how what worked and what didn't work. So the weekly review is a time where then we can block out that time in the schedule. I would aim, Dave, t- his advice to you was in the beginning to start. And I would say start small and just have the idea where I, I always like to get in a different environment. So if you find yourself being tempted to ask about deadlines and projects and that kind of thing, what would it look like if the two of you, maybe you just do one person per week, which might end up, I don't know what your small core team is, maybe that's one per month for each one, that you say, we're just going to go take a 30-minute walk, a leisurely walk somewhere outside, and we're not going to be on the phones, we're not going to be taking notes, this is just going to be a conversation that's going to be more big picture, and it's not going to require us to write things down. Then maybe when you get back, you jot down what's one thing that's an action that the person's going to take or something that you've committed to contribute to their own development. But I like getting out of the environment. It does change the dynamic of the conversation quite a bit. And the discipline around weekly reviews, Dave, I think in the show notes, maybe you can put a 
link to that. One of the productivity sites that I like a lot is called Asian efficiency. And they're just a wonderful group of people who have some great productivity practices, including around the weekly review. But I have a, a couple other articles if we want to. Yeah, and you've, um, we both have shows or articles listed somewhere on weekly reviews and all of that. So that yeah. might be a good starting point too. And yeah, I love, I love your edition of the second word. Start small, start small, start, begin, see what happens, see what people, how people respond to it and go from there and watch for that upcoming episode too on, on conducting one-on-ones. I think you'll find that helpful too. Thanks for the question, Stephen. Let's uh, move on to the question. Next here is from Lauren. Lauren says, I'm a director level product uh, manager for software in a large diversified industrial, and I've recently been given an amazing opportunity to build a new vertical business unit with a small team of great folks from across the business. My mentor and someone who probably had a lot to do with my new opportunity is a very senior level executive, and I just found out that he and I are going to meet consultants next week, which means I'm going to have a lot of one-on-one time with him. I adore and deeply respect this guy. He's one of those rare leaders who is scary smart, has accomplished really big things, and is also genuinely a nice person. Getting informal time with him is a huge opportunity for me to learn about the market, the company, and leadership in general. I'd love nothing more than to sit there with a notepad and and interrogate him, but that's probably not a great idea. Can you offer any advice on good ways to utilize conversations with two and three level up executives? I don't want to annoy him and I don't want to ask questions whose answers um, he, he isn't in a position to share, but I feel like it would be ludicrous to waste the opportunity on casual conversation. Well, speaking of wasting the opportunity, I think it's been a few weeks since this question come in, so we're probably not <laughs> going to be super helpful on the exact week. But the more importantly is the going forward and your relationship with this person and other executives where you may have this opportunity to build this relationship. And I'm, I'm and having been an executive, speaking of which, uh, Bonnie, I'm sure has some thoughts on this too. One thing you can do is take cues from him. If we're really self-aware and we can read other people's body language, we can often tell if we have been going on too long and their focus needs to be elsewhere. I think it will be helpful to you to be transparent about how honored you feel to be able to have these opportunities to be together and collaborating in this way and to get to learn from this individual. I think anyone hearing something like that, and especially if you think that he had a hand in you working more closely with him, will appreciate hearing that and then can kind of set the stage where if the person needs to put any kind of boundaries or limits on it, they would have an opportunity to say thank you. However, when we come together, I'm only going to have two and whatever they could, you can give them that opening to say that. And I would think that you would maybe want to limit yourself to just one question in each encounter that wasn't directly related to the work being done. And that might just spread out the ability to have that kind of impact and then wouldn't necessarily be irritating just to have you. I've got my one question each time that I planned out and congratulations. It sounds like a great thing to learn. Sometimes I think we learn not not even necessarily just by asking, but also by observing and really having powerful observation skills about how someone like this plans things when they're scary smart that way. Sometimes we can scary learn (laughs) from the scary smart. And in my experience, sometimes the really scary smart, even if I'm able to ask them a question, which is such an honor to be able to do, they often aren't able to articulate it because if it really is scary, smart, kind of a genius idea, they may not necessarily know what it is that they do, but sometimes they do. There's a man that I work with who is scary smart in the area of just networking and building relationships and Students today don't typically know what a Rolodex is, but if they did know what a Rolodex is, this guy would be the largest and most fruitful Rolodex I have ever 
witnessed in my entire life. It's absolutely incredible. And a couple of students and I had dinner with him a couple of months ago and we were driving back and they from the backseat asked both of us, would you be willing to share how you're so good at building relationships and networking for us as we think about that in our future careers? And I said, I am not going to say anything because I'm sitting next to the master. So let's let him <laughs> share what he does. And I will never forget this. We got the word stoplight. I can completely re- visualize this now. He said, what I do is I'm driving down the street and then I think of someone and I pick up the phone and I call them. <laughs> That's it. That's where that's the genius. That's where it comes from. And he's, awesome. he's, he was describing he has Bluetooth in his car. So it's he's not he does take a lot of time to capitalize on the time that he spends in the car. He lives down here near us. So there's that drive time that he would take. And I know he does other driving as well. But literally, he'll think of someone and he calls and I just think like, okay, I never do that. I never do. That. <laughs> when have I ever just been like, Oh, I was thinking of someone. So I picked up the phone and I called them. It doesn't happen. And if that were to happen more, I suspect I would have more fruitful relationships. So sometimes my point being that little tangent that we just went on together is sometimes people can name their genius and their real gift. And then other times they're just, it's so ingrained in who they are. They can't separate themselves enough from it necessarily. So it might be really fun for you just to get to watch and maybe you see where that the points of genius might come in too. Well, and speaking of that, I, I know who you're talking about, and I, I can totally see him doing that. And I, I think so many times people don't do that, and that's it's not that people mm-hmm. don't think of others or think of. I mean, I think of people all day long, and most of the time I don't pick up the phone, and I'm not anywhere as good as networking as he is. And it's it's that willingness to pick up the phone and engage, and that's one of the reasons I know that she'll do well in this in this role with this executive is just her willingness to engage and to ask questions. And I mean, there's lots of ways to do that strategically, but I think the enthusiasm and that willingness is there and that desire to learn, I, I, that's, that's so key. I mean, it's a reminder for me to actually, um, I have to, here, here's my way around this, <laughs> getting to maybe a broader point, but I put in my, uh, my task management system reminders to contact people or to follow up on things because I won't if I don't. And that's just, that's just my failing as I want to get better at that. So I put the reminders in, that's my hack around it. Um, But I think the key is either way you do it. I mean, you're willing to reach out or to contact someone you never might've thought to contact otherwise, or to reach out to someone who might be helpful to you some way in your industry. The worst they say is no. And I've been amazed in just this show over the last five years, how often I reach out to people. You have the same experience, Bonnie, on your show. How often mm-hmm. people do say yes and are willing to have a conversation or at least exchange some information over email. And so it's really a, it's really a good reminder. Thank you. This next question is from Sarah. I'm a department manager and going to school for business. Would retail be good on a resume? And this is a large, large retail institution that this individual is a department manager for. I have a lot of fun and the experience is very challenging. I have most troubles with the elderly and plan on reading the millennial manager book from your podcast. Well, first of all, is not to use the word the elderly when talking about um, workers who are older than you. So I don't think that's a term that generally would be well received. 
I don't know, Bonnie, what's your thought on this? Seniors, as far as older workers, I mean, we're talking about a, we're talking about Walmart is the company she mentioned, by the way, that mm. she works for. I um, was censoring that just in case. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I actually think, I mean, one of the reasons I'm, I mentioned the name is Walmart is an organization that does a fabulous job of engaging an older workforce and um, offering opportunities and very publicly has done that for many years. And, um, and there are a number of organizations that do this. And, you know, there are challenges that come along with that, I'm sure. But I think that there's a real skill to be learned in how you work and influence people of all different generations in the workforce that you work with. And if if you can learn that skill earlier in your career, I think that will serve you very well. And I'm 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 glad that there are organizations who do that very publicly and work with all generations of of workers who um, need and want jobs. And so I think that that's a really positive thing. And I think Walmart's a good example of that. In regards to the question specifically on how you frame this on your resume, I think the answer lies in you in the story that you tell about your career. And so I think there's the one story you could tell is I'm, I'm working in a job that uh, doesn't have a lot of opportunity, and maybe I even perceive it to be a dead-end job in, in a retail establishment, and it's just what I'm doing to get me by until I finish my degree. That's a story you could tell yourself. The, the other story you could tell yourself and others is I have this great opportunity to work with this amazing organization that is a, a credible American success story that's done fabulous things in the world for people's careers and the re- and the retail industry. And yes, I know Walmart's had its challenges too, of course. And I've got this great opportunity to be a leader and I've learned all these skills and I've produced these results intentionally while I've been there. And that's the story you tell. And so I think, first of all, it's the story, Sarah, that you tell yourself about what this opportunity means for you. And then that frames the story you tell to the rest of the world about this opportunity that you have in front of you. And I think... I mean, I just know we have I have family members who have been in the retail business. That is hard work. I mean, if I saw someone come to me with a resume and experience who had been in the retail business and had produced results and showed evidence that they had been successful in that environment, I would think to myself, wow, you know, there's someone who knows how to work under pressure, how to perform, how to hit numbers. So many of the challenging things that go with the retail business I mean, that, that for me would be a positive, but it's how you tell the story and how you frame it and your experience that you tell. So I'd look, I mean, I think there's a ton of opportunity here to, to utilize this as a great career development for you and for the people that you work with in the, in the organization. The other resource that I'd mention is Bonnie and I did a show a while back on seven principles for leading people older than you. This is a reality that I think is a challenge for those who are earlier in their careers, that is one that I don't think has to be as much of a challenge. And Bonnie and I both had this experience a lot earlier in our careers where we did often manage uh, people and even teams that were mostly older than us. And so I think that that episode, we'll link to it in the show notes, might also be helpful in just some thinking on how you reframe your thinking on how you lead and work with people who are at different age ranges. Because I do think there's, there's some things you can do there that will help you as far as your perception on that. I just celebrated my 45th birthday last Saturday. Hooray! I guess it wasn't that much of a celebration since I sat on airplanes, but I watched a lot of You did seem better cons- call conspicuously Saul. absent <laughs> on your birthday. <laughs> and read a lot of my book too, so it was really good. But anyway, so I celebrated my 45th birthday. 
10 years ago, I can distinctly remember sitting in the class as the students were giving their final presentations on their marketing plans, and they had decided that their target market was going to be old people. Old people, old people, old people. This was said a number of times. And one of the things I felt somewhat of a failing, by the way, I got better at doing this, but a target market, you don't don't just say old people. <laughs> First of all, you want to get extremely specific. The more targeted we can be in our marketing, the more that our messages will resonate and we'll be able to know the right challenge, the channels to use them. So I, I felt like a failure here. I'm watching this end of the semester presentation as they're talking about marketing to old people. But then there were these cues where I was thinking, what, what, when they say old people, what on earth are they talking about? So I ended up actually interrupting them for a moment and said, now, when you say old, what do you mean old? And they said, oh, I don't know, like over 30. <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> and again, that was 10 years ago. I was in my mid thirties and now I'm thinking like, I must really be old. And it's really easy for me to laugh about that and, and sound like I'm laughing at them. But just the other day, and this is a little bit of a sad story, but just the other day I was in my jazzercise class and one of the women that's always there, we, we stand really close to each other and it's just kind of neat. She always has her eye out for me if I take a few minutes getting the kids into the little childcare they have there, then she's always kind of saving me a spot and stuff. But anyway, she said to me, did you know we lost another one? And she had said that there was a woman, I knew exactly who she was talking about and she had died of lung cancer. It was really mm. sad. And I said, how old was she? And she said, I think she was 51 or something like that. And I said like, or no, actually I think she was 61. And I said, wow, she totally didn't look that old. And I suddenly realized I'm talking to, she has to, but this woman has to be in her sixties. If not, because I was like, you just said, I didn't realize she was, and I quote that old to someone who clearly is that That old. old. So Dave and I hope don't sound like we're being too nitpicky with you on the language that you use, Sarah, but I'm so hard on myself and I want to be hard on other people just in the sense of how powerful in both directions language can be. And I always want to use the right language. And when I say the right language, I just mean the most descriptive language that doesn't create defensive barriers that don't need to be there. If they need to be there, we need to call it what it is. I mean, we need to describe things as they are and not wrap them in silvery paper to think that that's going to help things. But at the same time, if language that we use is alienating without our intent to be alienating, then that's not good. And whenever I realize I'm using language that's kind of like us versus them language, that's where I really have to use a lot of self-awareness around that and decide I've got to unpack some of this stuff because the us versus them stuff will get us in the end in terms of our own relationships and just the possibility to embrace what humanity has to offer us. So I would say that Rather than saying the elderly, I think what you're trying to say is I have challenges working with people in a different generation than I am. And you might even name that generation, baby boomers. Is that really the generation that you're talking about? Or am I now in your old elderly camp and you're talking about generation X or, and to really, and so I'm so glad to hear that you're planning on picking up that book Mm -hmm. because it will give you some of this language because that's what the author Chip Espinosa has really been working on in his career is to give people language and to also help introduce to people from different generations where the tensions might be 
one of the things he talks about is that that the generation Y, the millennials might pick up their phone and that's just a natural thing to do. And what message that might send to somebody from a different generation. So I'm glad to hear you're going to pick it up. And I would just encourage you to really try to unpack that language and to take our feedback for what it is, which is that if that alienating language is there, even in your mind, even if you never uttered that to anybody who works there, we all carry that around with us. And even though we don't realize that those biases end up coloring what it is that we do and how we interact with people, and that could be really, really transformational. I'm really grateful for everyone who submits questions for consideration each month. And as I mentioned up front, we've got a whole bunch of questions, actually a backlog right now. So if you haven't heard your question, you probably will in the next month or two. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, don't let that stop you. We'll get it in. It may not happen immediately, but love to consider your question. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the best way to do that. And keep in mind while you're online, if you haven't already, I hope you'll join the weekly leadership guide that gives you access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries for me on the value of each of those books. It's an 11 page guide and a nine minute video. And more importantly, it gives you access to the Wednesday leadership guide. Every Wednesday I send out the notes for the show. So you'll get those in your inbox and also Uh, articles, other podcasts, videos, things that I found online, and even some of my thoughts on uh, topics around leadership that I think will be helpful to you. It's all in one message, and you can get access to all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. There's uh, thousands of people who get that each week now. I'm just really honored for all of you who not only read those, but also send comments back and your encouragement. Thank you so much for that. And and speaking of those of you who send things back, uh, a number of you have sent emails during the recent mastermind applications and said, you know, it's a, not the right time now, but I'd like to know about opportunities in the future. We do plan to announce opportunities in the future here on the show. I'm not exactly sure how we'll do that or timing, what timing will be like, but if you would like to get a heads up in advance of future mastermind seats that open up. I have set up a very special page for that where you can get on the advanced notification list. That may or may not be something we do to the larger community down the road, just depending on how things progress as far as opportunities and openings with future groups. But if you'd like to be on that list, just that special notification list for early notification when mastermind seats open up, go to coachingforleaders.com slash mastermind, and you will see a place there where you can jump onto that list. And I will alert you when new opportunities are there. And that way, if you want to be considered down the road, you'll be uh, certainly one of the first people that will know. And thank you again for all of your support. I'm really honored for it. And speaking of thank yous, a big thank you this week to a bunch of you who had been on iTunes and had said wonderful things about the show to Ebro Mock, I hope I'm saying the name right, from Australia. Mentioned they loved the interview with David Marquet. Oh, so did I. If you haven't listened to that, go back uh, and listen to David Marquet. Just fabulous, fabulous leadership advice. Uh, also, Raj MD from here in the States says uh, they've listened to every episode. Wow, thank you so much. And, and V. Hoek, who says also here from the States, 
says uh, they sit down after every podcast and write down notes of something that they've gained. I'm, I'm so grateful for all of you and your support. Thanks so much for being a resource to me and an inspiration to me in so many ways. I'm grateful. Have a great week and I'll look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Get ready to learn about money and finances. <laughs> Lots of good things coming. Take care.